two very short scriptures to begin the sermon today. First from Job chapter 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And another short verse from Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is a sermon series leading up to Easter. It is Lent. You'll notice purple. You'll notice some changes in the scenery around here as uh, we start in our journey towards Lent. And I'm reflecting in my sermons on the cross. And what does the cross mean? What does the cross do for us? And how does the Bible describe that? And the Bible tends to describe that using metaphors, using images or themes. And we're kind of exploring those one at a time. And last week we talked about the blood sacrifice, a very difficult image. This is a little more of a simple image today, but one that we still need to explore and get behind a little bit. And that's the idea of ransom and redemption. Ransom and redemption. Now, this is a little challenging because when we think about how we use these words today, how do we typically talk about ransom? When I say ransom, you probably think of kidnapping, right? You pay a ransom because you get a ransom note because somebody's been kidnapped. It's not really an image that many of us have had to face in real life. When I think of redeem, what do we often use the term redeem for? Coupons, right? I mean, that's the use of redeem that we pretty much have today. We don't use that term very much for much of anything other than we redeem coupons. Well, when the Bible talks about ransom, I'm not sure that kidnapping and ransom note is quite what it has in mind, although a little bit, and it certainly isn't talking about coupons. So we've got to get a little bit past those terms and think about ransom and redemption. To redeem is to pay for the release or freedom of something. Okay, To redeem is to pay for the release or freedom of something. When you redeem a coupon, and this gets even more complicated because now you can scan coupons. You don't even have to redeem them, right? But you give a coupon so that that can release the discount. That's really what it means to redeem a coupon. I get a coupon, 20% off. I give it to them. Once they have it, then they can release the 20% discount into the system for me. Redeem. Ransom is the payment. In this case, the ransom is a coupon. Technically, I'm ransoming the coupon. I'm paying the coupon so that it can free the discount. See, this is definitely not what the Bible is talking about with the cross. We've got to get behind this a little bit. Ransom is the payment. It's the money. It's whatever's paid for the freedom. We use the term redeemer to talk about the person who pays the ransom. Okay? They're the one that does the redeeming. We talk about redemption as the noun sort of for the whole process. The whole process of somebody being captured and then the payment for the release. Everybody got the words so far? Okay. In the Bible, there are lots of examples of redemption. There's a really interesting one in Exodus chapter 21. There's a big, long discussion about oxen. And what happens if, you're, if you have an ox that happens to kill another person? Apparently, this happened enough. They needed some rules over it. They needed some guidelines. But here are the guidelines. When a person owns an ox and it kills somebody else, then the ox has to be put to death. Okay? That's it. Animal kills somebody it's done. But if it's a one-time thing, like this ox has never been a problem before, the person who owns the ox isn't responsible. But if they've been warned, 
if this ox has had some kind of problems in the past related to hurting someone, or it's been called a danger by the community, and then it kills somebody, then technically the owner of the ox is responsible for the action of that ox also, right? Uh, we, we have these same kind of rules for what you do in your car. If you hit somebody with your car, is it an accident or did you do something to make you responsible for this? Okay, technically, if you were responsible for killing someone with an ox, you had to be stoned. You were responsible for a death and you had to be killed also. But you were not necessarily forced to do that if the community set for you a ransom. Okay, the community, whoever the, the body that would decide that or a judge in the community would decide, okay, if you pay this ransom, you pay this amount, then you don't have to be stoned and you will, you will have taken care of this family that you were responsible for a death. Okay, so everybody see, this is a real issue. We don't, they don't just redeem coupons. Okay, there's ransoming of people involved in olden times. Old Testament sets the ransom for slaves. Okay, sometimes if you were in very serious debt, you couldn't get out of that debt. You owed somebody, just like you would if you were the person who owned this ox. Right? You might have to be, uh, you might have to sell yourself, you might have to put yourself in as an indentured servant to somebody else. You'd have to work for them until you paid off the debt. But if your life circumstance changed, where you got an inheritance or something else happened in your family and you could pay for your own freedom, you were allowed to do that. And often your family could do that for you. Somebody could ransom. In fact, if you went to jail, it was likely you had some kind of ransom put on you. Okay, if you owed somebody, they could put you in jail till your family paid the ransom to get you out. Then you would be redeemed. The same is true of land. Land belonged to your family in Israel. They had a very strong sense of, this is my family's land. It's been my family's land for years. And if circumstances happened that you could not, uh, couldn't pay all your debt, you had to pay off your land, then the land went to somebody else. But you were always allowed to, to ransom, to redeem your family's property. If, if in the next generation they, they had the money and they could buy the family back, the property, you were allowed to do so. The Exodus set that up. Or the, the book of Exodus sets all that up. Now, there's another Old Testament image of a redeemer, and this one gets more fascinating. It's called a kinsman redeemer. When the head of a household would die, if the man of the house would die, if there were no sons that were old enough to take over the estate, it would put the family in great danger. If you were a woman in that society, you, in, in most societies throughout history, you could not really eke out a living for yourself the way you can today. You were at risk. Your children were very much at risk. That's why the Bible talks so much about widows and orphans, because they were very much at risk in this society. So you couldn't, as a woman, own the property. You couldn't, as a woman, no one would work for a woman uh, in the field. So even if you had property you owned, then you, you couldn't get anybody to manage the property for you, right? This could be a real problem. So it was the responsibility of the family to create what was called a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, a family member, to redeem the person or the property that was happening. And what they would have to do would be very expensive because they would have to pay whatever debts were owed. Okay, They would have to take on the responsibility of all this property. They would have to take on this woman as a wife and hopefully produce a male heir. But this got complicated too, right? Because you might already have a wife. So you've got another wife. And what if you and your first wife couldn't have a son? 
But your redeemed wife did have a son. Made, made the property and, and made the family situations very, very complicated. Now, this is very weird to us. We don't, we don't have multiple marriages, but it was this society and, and remains around the world in some places the way society takes care of widows. This is the, the basis, right, of the, the book of Ruth. Because Ruth is in a foreign land and her mom, Naomi, is married to, to a, a Jewish man, but he dies. And then both, her, both Ruth's husband and her brother-in-law die. So there's no more men in the family. There's no one to take care of them. They can't hang on to the property. There's no one who can legally own the property. They're forced to come back to Israel and try to eke out a living, but it's a very dangerous situation for them. She happens onto a field, thanks to the Lord's blessing, of a man named Boaz. And they like each other, but if you re- go back and read Ruth again, they figure out he's the kinsman redeemer. He's one of these people that has the right to take this on, but there's one ahead of him. So they contact that guy who comes in and says, okay, I will be the kinsman redeemer for this, for this household. But when he finds out that there's a, another wife involved and he finds out every, all the details of the situation, finds out Boaz wants to marry Ruth, he bows out. And Boaz is allowed to be the kinsman redeemer. Um, and by the way, is uh, the great-grandfather of King David who is in the line of Jesus. This is part of Jesus' heritage here. So we see this image of the kinsman redeemer. We also see this image of paying for a slave or paying for a debt using this idea of redemption. redemption. But it's an even bigger image than that in the Old Testament because both those images of redeemer are used about God. God is a redeemer. Job believes this. Even despite all the things that have happened to him, we, we read the text from Job chapter 19. Really, it's pretty late in Job's story. He's been really beaten up by life. And everybody's telling him to curse God. God's out to get you. And he says, no, no, no. My redeemer, the one who's going to pay the price and save me, he lives. I believe he's still coming. It's this amazing testimony. Israel is seen as being redeemed by God. God tells Moses in Exodus chapter 6, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God. I will bring you out of the burdens, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of justice. The Psalms echo this idea in Psalm 77. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples, You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Okay, the sense of the arm, this metaphor of the arm means God physically did it. God comes and he physically gets people out of Israel. How does he do it in Exodus? Well, with ten plagues and with parting the sea, and he does these mighty acts, and he gets those people out of slavery. He pays the price with his own arm to ransom them out of slavery. This is why Israel has so many rules about ransom and redemption. It's why they're supposed to take care of people. It's why they're supposed to to allow land to go back to families. Because they're supposed to remember, it's part of their identity, that you were ransomed. You were redeemed. And that you are my people. See, God is at the same time saying, I'm not only your redeemer who pays the price for you to get you out of Egypt. I call you my people. I'm your kinsman redeemer. I take you on into my family. 
See, these are loaded images, and when the New Testament picks these up, they have all of these in mind. We read from Mark that Jesus came to give himself as what? A ransom for many. Or remember this phrase, remember John 3.16. This doesn't use the term ransom, but certainly has this kind of idea in mind. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There's a sense that Jesus is given for us. The Gospels are more interested in the story of this, but Paul is really interested in trying to understand why and what happens. He says in Romans 3, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to receive by faith. Propitiation, some, some verses, some versions will say payment there. Paul is saying God gave Jesus as the payment, the redemption. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. That's what sin really is. Sin is really, I explained this last week, but it's an archery term. Okay? If you look at archery or you look at target practice and, and you, you're aiming for the bullseye, the further away you get from the bullseye, that's how much you sin. And in the Bible, the bullseye, what we're aiming for is God's holiness and God's expectations for our lives. We've all missed that mark. We might look at our lives and say, ah, I'm not that bad. Or we might look at our lives and say, man, I've done some really terrible stuff. But compared to Jesus and compared to God's holiness, we all stand accused and condemned. But he says, Paul says in Romans 6, but thanks be to God, for you were once slaves to sin, have become obedient to the heart of... Uh, let me start over. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves to righteousness. We were slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. We owe sin, right? Romans 6, the wages of sin... Is what? Death. We owe sin a cost. Notice in the Bible we never owe Satan anything. Satan has no, Satan's a pretty minor player in the Bible. But we owe sin something because sin has this, uh, this hold on us. And ultimately we owe God. Ultimately we don't just owe sin, we owe God. Because God is so holy, he's the one we transgressed against. But isn't it amazing that God pays the price? He pays the price. The price we ultimately owe to him, he pays. Imagine the bank coming to you and say, you owe this much on your mortgage. But guess what? We paid it. We paid your mortgage to us out of our own money. See, then the bank's getting hit twice, right? They're not getting the money from you, and they're taking their money to fill the money you were supposed to give to them. Except Christ does it on a huge scale. He pays the debt you could never pay, and he pays it with his own life. And he doesn't just pay it for you. He pays it for the world. This is a bigger story than just your life. But it's a pretty amazing story about your life. God is redeeming the world. You may not look at yourself and say, ah, there's, there's not that much wrong with me, right? But nobody looks at the world and says, man, the world's fine. The world's got it together. Everything's going okay. No, we look at our world and it seems more messed up than it did last year. Okay? The world keeps looking worse and worse. 
But Christ is coming to fix all of that. He's coming to fix you. He's coming to fix me. He's coming to fix this world. Our view of redemption is just simply too small. God doesn't just save our souls. He's just doing more than that. Paul says in Romans 8, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly. You ever groaned for something? Grown inwardly. We look at this world and we look at our lives and saying, this is not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. As we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, Paul ties redemption here to two very interesting things. First of all, to adoption. Paul loves to mix metaphors, and he does here. You're redeemed to be adopted. You just became a son and daughter of the king. Okay? And we look forward to the day where we don't feel so distant from God, but we treat God like father. Clearly, kinsman redeemer, right? I mean, clearly, you're adopted. You're part of the family. You're taking in. You're now kin. But Paul also ties this world, this word redemption to our bodies. This is a pretty interesting move by God. See, we tend to think we have this really false belief that who we really are is just our spirits. And see, this body is just kind of, a, I've heard Christians say this, it's just my shell. And when I die, I leave this shell when I go, but, but not for Paul. Not for the Bible. In the Bible, you are a body and a spirit, and you're put together. We call that a soul. You're both. And, and you know how your body hurts, right? You know how you get up in the morning, you're like, ugh. You know how it breaks and folds. and it's, I get this weird nerve thing going on in my neck right now about every couple hours, right? We feel all this stuff. That's, that's sin. That's a problem with sin. And Christ's redemption is so powerful that it's even going to fix our bodies. That's important for Paul. If, if, if we don't get our bodies back and fixed and made new, then for Paul, this doesn't make any sense because if our bodies are broken because of sin, then Christ's redemption fixes even our bodies. This is the basis for Paul's ethics. Okay, What you do with your body and where you put your body and how you see your body and who you show your body all are important to God because you are your body. You're not separate from your body. Body's not something you have on. It's who you are, and Christ fixes it too. So let's recap this beautiful story of redemption. Jesus is, are you catching this? He's both the ransom and the redeemer. He's both the one who pays, and he's the actual payment on the cross. We owe sin death, but God gives us a ransom. Okay, he's the ransom. He pays the price for us missing the mark of his holiness. He becomes flesh, enters into our sin, dies the brutal execution of the cross, most brutal execution that you can find in history. And the sin of the world is that bad, he has to take that much on to redeem it. But he does. And being fully God and fully human, he's able to heal this broken relationship. He's the redeemer, he's the one who pays, and he himself is the ransom. We are given kinship. We are given freedom from slavery. He shares his sonship with us so that we can be sons and daughters, fully accepting, fully accepted, owing nothing else in debt. It's a pretty simple metaphor, right? I could explain it to the kids. Just, we owe, Christ pays. Do you understand the depth and beauty of this? How much God loved you. I'm not sure we really get this. I'm not sure we really connect with this image. Do we really believe that God is, is doing all of this? 
See, when you don't appreciate what it costs to get something, then it doesn't hold a lot of value to you. If you pay the price for something, you know how much you paid for it, it's a big deal. You don't want, but you ever, you ever notice that when people borrow your stuff, they don't care about it as much as their own stuff, right? Because they didn't pay for it. We lose sight of how costly something is when we don't pay the price. Or when we think that we earn something, we can't help but relate to it in a weird way, like it's ours, like we can control it. I wonder if we're like this with God. I wonder if we see ourselves as ultimately redeeming ourselves. I wonder if we, we like to have God help us in our redeeming, help us make something of our life, help us to give value and purpose to our lives. But if ultimately we kind of want to do it ourselves, do we even really connect with Paul's image of being a slave to sin? Do you feel like you're that bad? Most of us don't feel that bad. Are we saving ourselves? Are we trying to save our world? Or are we ignoring our world like our world doesn't really matter? But if this, story is too, if this story is true, it ought to change how we look at our world, how we look at ourselves, and how we act, right? If God bought you with the price of his own life, then you have no right to live your life in guilt or shame or trying to prove yourself or caring what everybody else thinks of you. You don't have any right to that. You're already paid for and you're, you're pushing the payment of Christ away if you live with those things. It's too exciting. It's, it's too important to you. There's no room for finding your identity in your work or your sexuality or the color of your skin or who you know or who knows you. Your identity is now in Christ who bought and paid for you. You're his. All those other things are secondary and need to be ordered around Christ, which should be the primary identity of your life. You think this world is not important? Christ died for this world. You can't just ignore the things that are wrong in this world. Christ died enough, or cared enough to die to fix those problems. If he cares that much about the world around him, maybe we ought to care that much about the world around us too. Do you have any idea how much God loves you? The price he paid for you. Have you really taken time to think about that? How precious you are to him. How precious the world is to him. Be careful how you view yourself and how you view the world around you. And give some consideration, I would encourage you as we approach Easter, to that price that Christ paid for you. That ransom, that redemption that is yours. Let's pray. Father God, speak and move in us this Lent that we would appreciate the great price that you paid on our behalf. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.